Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 971 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. Sonny Gray, the latest addition for the St. Louis Cardinals pitching staff introduced at Bush Stadium this afternoon by the organization. Uh, Frank Husamano was there. He ran out of a little time to visit with us, so we're going to catch up with Frank tomorrow. But Matt Pauly from CAMOX and from the Cardinals Radio Network is going to fill us in on some of the details. And now I'm hearing rumors that maybe the Cardinals trade Steven Matz and they go after this uh, Yamamoto, the Japanese pitcher. So we'll get Mr. Pauly's thoughts on all of that. Plus, we have an audio cut of the day coming up here in just a little bit as well. The show is not complete on this Monday because Fred is off. He will be back on Wednesday. We do miss him. He's in Miami or this morning he was in Jupiter, Florida. Yeah. Speaking of the Cardinals, kind of touring the facility down there. Even though it wasn't open, he was kind of taking pictures and, and stuff like that. Right now, one of the biggest uh, conservative voices in really the, the history of this country, our Emma Tyrell is with us this afternoon. He's the founder and the publisher of The American Spectator. He has also written a new book called How Do We Get Out of Here? A Half Century of Laughter and Mayhem at The American Spectator from Bobby Kennedy to Donald J. Trump. Bob Terrell, welcome to 97.1 FM Talk. How are you? It's great to be with you, and I'm very fine, and I hope you are, too. We are doing great post-Thanksgiving. There's no doubt about that. I want you to first, before we start talking about the details of the book, tell the story of the title of the book that goes back to a speech that Robert Kennedy gave that you attended. I find this very interesting. He gave it in 1968. It was practically the last his last speech before he was mowed down by that son of a you know what Mm -hmm. but at any rate uh i was alone on the stage with him and i didn't realize i was so alone when he turned he he spoke to this crowd of oh about three thousand students and he and when he was done speaking he ripped the the curtain open stepped back and he said how do we get out of here and I never thought that how do we get how do we get out of here would be the title of my memoirs, but 55 years later it was the title of my memoirs. And he he said how do we get out of here? So I led him to the left and led him to the right, and led him down a set of stairs that I hope would lead to his car, and it did. He let he sat in the back seat of his car, put his hand out to shake my hand, and I put a, a Reagan for president button in his hand. He wow. looked up and smiled and laughed. I looked down and laughed. 
and uh, that was the last time I met met Bob <laughs> yeah. Kennedy. Well, but that's a good it was story. also about the last time he's, he was seen in public. Last the next time I saw him, he was lying on the floor of a hell of a hotel uh, in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. Yeah, just dying. Well, let, let me ask you about Ronald Reagan. You know, I, I came of age politically in the early 1980s. Ronald Reagan was the first president I voted for in 1984. It's one of the reasons that I, to this day, remain a conservative. But you had a pretty good relationship with the former governor of California and the former president, didn't you? Yes, it started back when he was governor. And when he was president, he asked me in to help him with one of the important things he wanted to do. He wanted to affect the culture of the country. Roosevelt had changed the the the, uh, the country's culture. John Kennedy had changed the country's culture, and Ronald Reagan realized that that how important culture is, and he thought I could help him with it. And I worked very hard for about for eight years, seven or eight years, trying to change the culture, and uh, we didn't. We failed. We failed because. The assistant presidents in the White House didn't want us to to make any headway with our plan, and and that Ronald Reagan was busy with various other issues. For instance, the Cold War, ending the Cold War, lowering taxes, and he had to let. Let lesser people handle the issue. Yeah, but Bob, then what were you trying specifically? What were you trying to do? If you're trying to change the culture of the country, what was the strategy back then? I what, what is the question again? So, what was the, if you were trying to change the culture of the country with Ronald Reagan? What was your strategy then? Well, our strategy was to get more and more intellectuals into the White House. We got more and more, but not quite enough. Uh, and uh, we we would like to, we wanted to stress wholesome homegrown issues in in and bring people bring writers and speakers and into the white house and we didn't we didn't do it enough and we had people like deaver and baker who were against us uh so we had them fighting for uh, fighting against us on the inside uh, we couldn't do it, but we certainly tried. Well, let, let's kind of there, there's a lot to talk about. You cover a lot of ground in this memoir, but I, I want to kind of go back just uh, to 2016 and the way that Donald Trump changed the political landscape. You know, I, I was certainly one that was um, well, I, I didn't really understand the gravity of what was happening, especially with blue collar workers. I think a lot of us missed that. I also didn't think there was an electoral path for President Trump to be elected. I'm certainly wrong about that. But that that is of all your decades in politics, Bob Terrell, that Trump portion of of this um, you know memoir has to be pretty important because it changed a lot, didn't it? Well, it is important, and it's but the, 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 he is another one who kind of failed in the end. He changed the culture for, for a while. He brought very conservative policies in at first, uh, but he, his problem was a problem with himself. He couldn't resist taking a swing at someone who took a swing at him. No, I've and, never noticed that. Yes, well, and it cost it cost him the election, 
he would have been president for the next four years had he not uh, thrown too many punches. He threw too many and he caught too many. Well, so then the the title of your book, we just heard the explanation that it's called How Do We Get Out of Here? I'd say, how the hell do we get out of here in 2023? What what, what are we going to do? Well, for one thing, Donald Trump is looking pretty good to be reelected, to be elected, reelected, I guess. And so I would keep an eye on Donald Trump and, and also um, Haley. Nikki Haley, yeah. Nikki Haley has a has a good chance, and I think we've got. I think we're in good condition, good position, to take over the White House in 2024. Well, yeah. If if Joe Biden is the nominee, I think that that would be more hopeful than if somebody else is the nominee. But what would you say is the current status of the conservative movement in this country? Because you know, one of the fears that I had about President Trump, which luckily did not come true, is I didn't think he was going to fight on the side of conservative, you know, principles. He did. He surprised. He got a couple of Supreme Court picks in particular, right? Right. He got the, the Supreme Court cases. He got tax cuts. Uh, he did an awful lot in foreign policy. Uh, he was headed to be one of the great presidents of American history until he took too many punches. <laughs> yes. And now he might be able to prove that he had learned. that One thing Ronald Reagan never did was he never took too many punches. Uh, he he soared about his, his opponents. And I thought Donald would soar about, I, you know, I wrote speeches for Donald. And uh, I, I thought Donald was, uh, uh, was per- perfectly capable of soaring above people, above his opponents. Uh, unfortunately, he wasn't. Well, and then one of the questions I think moving forward with Trump becomes, you know, he always said he was going to hire the best people. And I think he had some of the, the better people. I don't know about the best people, but uh, who would want to work for him, you know, at this point, right? Well, that's a problem. It's a problem that's rarely discussed, but you're right on the money. Um, he may have a problem manning a, and per- people in a White House. Right, which sounds like a big challenge. The book is called How Do We Get Out of Here? Half a Century of Laughter and Mayhem at the American Spectator. Bob Tyrell is my guest. You you write a lot. Let's kind of cover the 90s a little bit. Let's go back to there, that period between, of course, Ronald Reagan and uh, where we are today and the Clintons. And, you know, to me, it still was amazing. I didn't know a ton about politics when Bill Clinton was elected. I think a lot of us at that point were like, who's this guy from Arkansas who thinks he could be president? He had this charm and charisma that really dazzled people. But what what was their influence, Hillary's included, on politics in uh, modern day? Well, they they radicalized politics in modern day. Uh, Bill and his lovely wife Bruno were were left wingers from the start, and I pointed I point that out in the book. They were very early on; they were very left wing, and they continued it right to the end. And and I must say, Tom Wolfe said that in the end, Hillary was, was fighting her, her, her record, and her record was revealed by the American spectator. But, you know, the interesting thing about 
um, maybe I can toss Hillary out of the mix here. And, and I understand their their background certainly was was left leaning, especially in college. And we saw some of the things they were exposed to. But then he was deemed, you know, and I think maybe even now he's deemed Bill Clinton more conservative than any modern Democrats would be the progressives. Because, Bob, I think you've noticed this. They've gone a little crazy on the left, haven't they? Yeah, they have. But Bill Clinton couldn't read the polls, and he realized that that he was going to have to make a deal with Newt Gingrich, and he did make a deal, and they've worked pretty well yeah. together. Yeah. But Newt Gingrich has got to be responsible for a good bit of that good legislation that uh, you attribute to uh, to uh, the president. Hey, you, you mentioned, we, we talked about the, the origins of the book title and the speech that Robert Kennedy gave. So RFK Jr., running as an independent, any thoughts on that? And, and will it have an impact next year? I, I think it's too early to tell. He could catch fire, but I'm not, I'm not certain he's going to. I'm not actually very confident that he, he's going to catch fire. Um, and he, but one thing is sure. And, uh, is that he does, has a right to Secret Service protection, and he hasn't been given it. Who has denied him that Secret Service protection? A Democrat by the name of Biden. Yeah, that's interesting, uh, for sure. Well, listen, good luck with the book. It's called How Do We Get Out of Here? Half a Century of Laughter and Mayhem at the American Spectator from Bobby Kennedy to Donald J. Trump. They're, they're seemingly, you know, I, I have a lot of guests on, political guests who write books, and it, it almost seems like as soon as they publish, you can almost write an entire sequel because so many things right. change so quickly, Bob. But thank you so much for coming on here tonight and talking about the book. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be with you. All right. You have a great holiday season. We'll come back here. We'll talk a little bit more about Sonny Gray signing with the Cardinals. Matt Pauley from the Cardinals Radio Network and the X side. Plus, I have an audio cut of the day before the end of the hour. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Was right. I uh, going into this thing, I wanted to be a cardinal. Um, that started probably a little over a year ago. Um, it's a place that every time I've come here as a visitor, I've um, I've looked at the stadium and I've said, "Wow, this place is this place is incredible." Um, I looked around the seats and I've seen the fans and the fans continue to show up and they support this team. And then you, you talk around the league and you talk around different guys who have been all over the place. And um, everybody raves about 
St. Louis. That is Sonny Gray, the new addition to the Cardinals pitching staff. They are, I think, wrapping up a news conference at Bush Stadium. Matt Pauley from the Cardinals radio network and the KMOX side of our building with us this afternoon. We were hoping for some good news on Sonny Gray. We got it this afternoon. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. All right, so $25 million, three years, break this deal down. You're always going to have people that are going to complain, as they have when we uh, you know, re-signed Lance Lynn and Gibson last week. So people are going to complain about this, but let's lay it out there. <laughs> I think it's a really good deal. I'm shocked that they were able to get him in at three years. This is a guy who uh, just came in second in the American League Cy Young Award uh, voting. He's in the prime of his career. Uh, I thought, it just based off the way things have gone over the last few years with high-end pitching, I thought the team that signed him was going to have to commit minimum five years to get him at three years and $75 million, a guy who fits the team, fits the ballpark, fits the organization. Uh, the mental makeup, I didn't know a lot about him as a guy until listening to him talk during the press conference, and I got about 10 minutes one-on-one with him uh, that I just wrapped up. I mean, this is a guy who you talk about uh, exuding just uh, the type of culture and character that you want to have. This guy has it. I mean, this is uh, this is a big win for the Cardinals today. I think. Well, so what? What are Sonny Gray's strengths? And my understanding is, what's this new pitch he developed that's dazzled some of these batters, Matt? Yeah, so I mean, he's a guy who's um, his strikeout numbers have gone a little bit up here recently. He struck out about one. It was one strikeout per inning last year, which is pretty good. And then he also is a ground ball guy, so that's a that's a unique combination uh, where you are able to. Um, have somebody who strikes a lot of guys out, but also gets a fair amount of ground balls. So Cardinals love ground ball pitchers. Cardinals need more strikeout guys. You're getting both of those things uh, with Gray, and that also means he can get you out of different type of situations. You got runner on a third and less than two outs, so you need a strikeout. You got it. You got a guy at first and third with one out. You need a ground ball to get a double play. Uh, you can get it with uh, with Gray. He did, so this was kind of cool. I've never seen this before. He came with a baseball mark and. Uh, when he was talking about the different pitches and the different things he was working on, he picked up the baseball and was showing his grips and showing his hand position and, and things like that. And it was uh, it was rather remarkable. And he talked about a lot of different pitches uh, that he's continuing to uh, to work on. He's kind of remade himself over the last few years with everything that he's uh, been able to do. Last year, his big focus uh, was put himself in position to be healthy. Uh, he changed his training regimen last year, and it worked out for him. Uh, well, I think it was 32 starts and better than 180 innings pitched. He was healthy all season long. So he's the kind of guy who always wants to get better. He talked about wanting to be coached. That was another thing he said today. He likes being coached. He wants people to challenge him and make him better. So I think there's a lot of things that he's working on at any given moment. I mentioned that that pitch, the sweeper, is kind of a, a variant of a slider, I think, that he's been very effective with. Now, on, on the uh, we mentioned this earlier. I don't know how much this came up today or you know how much of the psychology there was this, but he's from Tennessee. He played baseball at Vanderbilt, so there was some you know thought given ahead of this signing that you know having his roots in Tennessee, St. Louis is not a bad geographical location for Sonny Gray. That was a big part of it. Uh, when the offseason began, he targeted St. Louis as being one of the top, if not the top location for him to go to, uh, in large part because of the geographical location, five hours or so drive uh, from his home to St. Louis. That's important. When I talked to him, I asked him if he grew up a Cardinal fan because Tennessee, that is Cardinal country. Sure. We know the Cardinals radio network has Tennessee affiliate after Tennessee affiliate. And I thought it was interesting. He talked about 
growing up watching baseball, he watched the Cardinals, he watched the Braves, he watched the Cubs, and he watched one other team. I can't remember what it was, but he said he didn't really grow up as a fan of any team. He grew up he grew up playing outside and playing baseball. So it wasn't like something where he was always in front of the TV watching baseball. He was outside playing baseball, but there certainly was a, a Cardinals influence because of all the people who lived around him and he saw on an everyday basis all the Cardinal hats around. So, Matt, where does this put us right now with, um, you know, the effort to get back on track next year with the pitching staff? Sonny Gray is not necessarily deemed a number one, although, you know, his numbers are pretty good. I think that there's some uh, sentiment out there that the Kyle Gibson signing has been underestimated by some fans just a little bit. But obviously they're not done, and there's some news this afternoon that says, well, maybe the Cardinals might even trade Steven Matz, and they're looking at the Japanese superstar Yamamoto. So what do you know about any of that? Yeah, so I think right now Sonny Gray's the top pitcher on the staff, and if he pitches the way he pitched last year, he just came in second in the Cy Young Award voting, that's, that's, that's pretty darn good. And if he, if he recreates last season – he can be a number one starter. Now, this is an older staff. Pretty much everybody's in their mid-30s. You would like to bring some youth. I, I think it's less than a 50% chance that the Cardinals sign Yamamoto, but I do think they're going to continue to make a run at him. They have invested so much in Japan that they have to. They, this is something where you don't put those kind of resources into having success acquiring pitchers from Japan and then just kind of, excuse me, uh, and then just don't take a run at at one of the top players to come out of the country in quite some time. So um, they might be done. And if they're done, then you have a a guy who if he pitched the way he pitched last year, he's a clear number one. And you got a bunch of other guys who are kind of threes and fours and feels like the rotation could still need another pitcher. But that doesn't mean that they can't go acquire that uh, in the in season, especially if well, they are contending next year. But you might, I mean, if they're done with starting pitchers, um, you still want to shore up the bullpen a little bit, don't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They got a, they got a lot of work to do in the bullpen. They got to get some high leverage guys who can cover the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. I've always thought that that was uh, something. It doesn't matter how good your starting pitchers are. Now, good starting pitching and pitching that goes deep um, allows your bullpen to be a little bit more rested, and that impacts it. But, yeah, Mark, they, they need some guys who can cover those final three innings of close games. One of my favorite responses on a Twitter string today was from a fan. It was just a random fan that said, the average age of the Cardinals pitching lineup is now 75, which I think is obviously a slight exaggeration. Hey, was there any talk today? Um, I know this was focused on Sonny Gray, but did the question of Yadier Molina come up in his return to the team? There's still some rumors about that. Do we know anything more? Uh, yeah, that was not talked about today. I still think he's going to be a part of this organization. Uh, I don't know if they've made internal decisions yet on what it's going to be, and they're waiting to announce it. Uh, my expectation is he is going to be part of the organization in some form this upcoming season. And I don't, you know, they, they could, it could be something where they add a staff position because they are going to upgrade the staff next year and add some positions. He could come in as a, as a game planning consultant uh, or, you know, work with the catcher specifically where he's with the big league club a lot, but also spend some time in the minor league or maybe just something where uh, it's more loose and he kind of comes and goes as he pleases. Just so around, I right? Would, just need Yachty's yeah, vibe I, and smile right. in the clubhouse. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think there'll be an announcement at some point in the next few weeks on that. That's awesome. All right, Matt. Hey, before I let you go, how about Mizzou on Saturday? Getting it done. I I guess it was Friday afternoon, actually. It wasn't Saturday. Getting it done against Arkansas. They're 10 and 2, heading to a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah. It's, um, what a season for them. And uh, the, the, 
the you know mantra for them all season long was something to prove. Well, I think they proved something. That was a ten win season, and it should have been eleven. They should have beat LSU. It what really what a what a what a season for them. That was it's been so special. It really has, and and I hope that they can continue it and win this bowl because the team has just been so focused. You got to give a lot of credit to the coaching staff having these kids ready week after week after week. Uh, Matt, I know you're over at the stadium right now. You've been ha- having a busy afternoon, so I appreciate you jumping on here with me, and we'll uh, we'll see where the rest of this team develops from here. Still a lot of time until we start, you know, cracking on some baseballs down at spring training. But thanks for the update this afternoon. You bet. Thanks All for having right. me. Take care. 535. This is sports-related, and I wanted to tie it in here, Sue, because I thought it was an interesting story. This is about Dave Klein, producer emeritus, gave this to me today, and it's from a publication called Futurism, which I was not familiar with. But they actually did some reporting here on Sports Illustrated. When I was a kid, you had to have Sports Illustrated. Oh, right? yeah. Not just because of the bathing suit issue, but it was if you were a sports fan, that's where the coverage was. So... This is how they write this story at Futurism. There was nothing in Drew Ortiz's author biography at Sports Illustrated to suggest that he was anything other than human, Sue. Drew has spent much of his life outdoors, this is the bio, and is excited to guide you through his never-ending list of the best products to keep you from falling to the perils of nature, it read. Nowadays, there's rarely a weekend that goes by where Drew isn't out camping, hiking, or just back from his parents' farm. The only problem is, outside of Sports Illustrated, Drew Ortiz does not seem to exist. What? He has no social media presence. He's got no publishing history. Even more strangely, his profile photo on Sports Illustrated, which, by the way, I think they pulled down, is for sale on a website that sells AI-generated headshots. Oh, my God! He's described as neutral, white, young, adult male with short brown hair and blue eyes. That is um, Drew Ortiz, if you will. Wow. He's not the only AI-generated author published by SI, according to the person that is reporting the story. Now, they had some um, whistleblowers at SI. Now, you'll have to take this for what you know it's worth, right? But there was somebody that says, and this is somebody that was involved with the creation of the content, says, i got to be kept anonymous here. There's a lot. They told us of the fake authors. I was like, what are they? This is ridiculous. This person does not exist. At the bottom of the page, there would be a photo of a person and some fake description of them like, oh, John lives in Houston, Texas. He loves yard games and hanging out with his dog, Sam. Stuff like that they continue. It's just crazy. So apparently they've made some of these people up and... Sports Illustrated, I think, is on the market right now. They indicated that I I think that there is some process in acquiring it. I'd have to check on that. But when they went, when Futurism, this publication, reached out, uh, all of the AI authors disappeared from Sports Illustrated's site without explanation. And the questions received no response. Their story, Futurism's story, says the AI content marks a staggering fall from grace for Sports Illustrated, which in past decades has won numerous... National Magazine Awards for its sports journalism. Wouldn't you think that they would maybe feel like someone is going to root that out? Or I guess not, right? Help me understand. The actual people it was covering was fake. It was making up people? Or was it writing writing, AI writing articles about? It was an AI-generated photo did of the dog exist guy. did the the camping happen i no, mean that was all made that up. was all, so they just took a real person and had ai make up a story about it ai did whatever story that person was assigned to yeah. oh so my it, it seems 
Well, here's what they know for sure. There is a question about that part, but what they know is the guy Drew Ortiz, he doesn't really exist. That's what I mean. So whoever's oh, so creating the, the content, doesn't exist, that, that author is a fake person. And it's they, they bought the picture. Futurism went out. They wow. found the picture on another site. Oh and they found that there were other people that were doing the same thing. And then they found an anonymous source at SI that says, yeah, this, this happens on a regular basis. So they reach out to Sports Illustrated, and they have two two sources that are anonymous, right? They say they they were kind of blowing the whistle, not just because the headshots are AI-generated. At least some of the articles themselves, they said, were churned out using AI as well. The quote is, the content is absolutely AI-generated, no matter how much they say that it's not. How fascinating is that? that? Is, now, wow. you can see that. I can see that happening with lesser publications. Sure. But maybe, Illustrated. Maybe that is a lesser publication. At this point. There you go. 540. Audio cut of the day is coming up. Well, I hope everyone had a really, really nice Thanksgiving. And now Christmas will be here before you know it. we got our Kill Meat event coming up on Friday night. That's going to be a lot of fun. Let's see if you, um, if you buy into this. I have an audio cut of the day coming up. This was... One of the options. It didn't make the cut, though. In fact, as a share of earnings this Thanksgiving, dinner was the fourth cheapest ever on record. I want you all to know that. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I look at all the press. Look at that. Isn't that great? Yeah, I mean, really? The fourth cheapest ever for based on what? You know, I, 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 I have no idea. Like, my, my wife went to Walmart today. And she came back with like four bags, and there was a hundred. Well, there was like a hundred and thirty-five dollars. I lo- I looked at the receipt like five times, thinking, how is it possible that this added up to a hundred and thirty-five dollars? But take that and run. But four bags, four little bags. Oh, I thought no, no, I was no, not groceries. Big bags. No, no, like, no, no, no. These were like four. No, no. I'm sorry. They weren't like groceries and stuff. This was. I can't really say what it was. There mm, might have been some Christmas okay, stuff involved right, there. I don't want anyone right, to be listening. Right. We shouldn't be listening. But. It wasn't a lot. Of, my point is, oh, it wasn't a lot tiny, of stuff. Yeah. If you would see what I unpacked from the car, I kept looking for stuff in the car. I'm like, wait, Nothing. is there more? Oh, it's because I see the charges come in on the Southwest card. I'm like, oh, okay, uh, we went yeah. to, we went to Walmart. All right, there's one for you. Here's a. Here's, I was going to use this one, but this is just one of those libs of TikTok videos with a teacher. Pro- Tell me how this makes any sense. You know, I don't care if you're you're trans or not trans, or if you have three penises or you don't have any. But how does this make Three. sense for well? I don't know, Sue. I'm not ruling anything yeah, out. Sure. Uh, this is a preschool teacher. All right, listen to this. Okay, guys, I can't. This is too funny. So I'm at work, and those of you who don't know me, I use they them pronouns, and I'm a preschool teacher. So instead of using Mister or Miss, we use Mix. So the kids have been really awesome doing that. I work with three and four year olds. Oh. One of my kiddos came up to me, and he goes, "Are you mixed up?" Is, are you mixed up? <laughs> I was like, no, sweetie, I'm not mixed up. I just use, I just use mix instead of Mr. or Mrs. And he's like, okay, I was worried. Yeah. Are you mentally ill? That's what I would ask. Are you mentally ill? And the answer is, that's a rhetorical question. Yes, you are. I mean, l- let's say that you're someone who feels protons or, pronouns are important. They're not. It's embarrassing. Okay, if you send me an email that's got your pronouns on there, 
I'm likely deleting your email, okay? Never going to use your pronouns. Sorry. I'll be respectful toward you. Not going to use the stupid pronouns. And how are you supposed to teach kids who don't know anything no. about, you know, they don't want to discriminate against black people or Asian people. They're just kids, right? They don't want to do anything that's going to disappoint their teacher. But then they're like, wait a second. You have a stupid pronoun, teacher. Why the hell do you have that? Are you mixed up? The answer is yes, I'm mixed up. I'm mentally ill, and that's why I'm doing this and confusing you. When are we going to stop the madness with some of this stuff? It is unreal. <laughs> it really is. And these idiots that go on TikTok and they proudly, you could hear it in her voice. She's condescending because if, oh, yeah. if you don't get her pronouns, you could hear it in her voice. If you don't have an appreciation for the fact that she, what, what is she, she's mixed. Mixed Johnson. Is that what it is? I guess. It's not Mrs. It's not Miss. It's not Mr. It's mixed. Mixed. <laughs> right. I, I don't even. I know. I, I, I don't. It's so ridiculously embarrassing and confusing to normal people. I'll just say it that way. How about that? Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. All right, it's sponsored by the Good Feet Store. It's all about comfort, energy, performance, and pain relief. Now, I started the show with this afternoon. I think it's pretty important. I want you to hear the story that John Strauss tells. He's a USC professor, and he's going to kind of share the story of what happened when he was walking through a pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas demonstration and how he kind of got drawn into it. So here's the background. It was uh, a big pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas protest, and there was no way around it. So I just walked my way through. So I'm Jewish, I'm very pro-Israel, and when I walked my way through, I kept hearing, down with Israel, things like from the river to the sea, which is a code word for saying the destruction of Israel. Now, and this is this is November 9th when this happens, by the way, so this goes back a few weeks. He's an economics professor. So I yelled out, uh, Israel forever, Hamas are murderers. And I went through everybody, went to class, held my class, fine. The class ended... A little bit early, um, at 3 o'clock, I was walking back to uh, Caprillion, and almost all the protesters had gone. There were a small number left there. There were also some Jewish students there. I stopped and spoke to the Jewish students just about this and that. Most of the people were seated down on the stone bench by Tommy Trojan, and one of them, a woman, yelled out, shame on you, Professor Strauss, shame on you. And I immediately yelled back, no, shame on you. You were ignorant about Hamas. Hamas are murderers. That's all they are. They should all die, every one of them. So the original quote was Hamas are murderers. That's all they are. He just, everyone should be killed. And I hope they're all killed, right? So students grab that on their cell phones. And one even says to him, can you say that for the camera? Within hours, the the videos are out there, but they don't say the Hamas part. They leave the Hamas part, leaving only hope for all to be killed. So millions of people see this claiming falsely that he said to the students, I hope you get killed. So within a day, he's put on administrative leave and he's told he can't go to the class, his own classes. They should all die. Every one of them referred, of course, to Hamas. Then that later was changed in the video that was released publicly that was heavily doctored to Palestinians should be murdered. And that's not what I said at all. Videos that were taken by uh, Jewish students there, they showed the truth. So what was put out on the web was just false. When I got home, I got 
some emails from some Jewish student reporters saying that local pro-Palestinian groups had put on the web this false narrative in which I'm supposedly saying kill all Palestinians, which I never said, and that was a heavily doctored and incorrect uh, video. And they, they, they just told me that to give me a heads up. So I didn't do anything. I went to, to bed, and then the following morning, Friday, um, I started getting emails, very, very, very nasty emails. And then Friday afternoon, Professor William Deverell from the college, associate dean from the college, phoned me to tell me that the provost had put me on administrative leave with full pay for the rest of the semester and that I would be allowed to teach on Zoom my PhD class, but not my undergraduate class. Deverell told me today that the provost has changed his mind, and I will be able to teach my undergraduate class remotely. But he's still banned from, from the campus. And wow. th so the LA Times wrote a big piece about this today, and of course they, they do everything in their power to, even though the, the facts of this they're pretty clear, I think, what happened and who's in the right and who's in the wrong. But it doesn't matter to the L.A. Times. They still want to give the Palestinians their say because what they claim is that th this was a this was an event to pay respects to those killed. Now, keep in mind, this was on November 9th. Okay? There were no civilian casualties in uh, Gaza at that point. Right. Well, that's a good and if point. there were. There were very few. This, I think this was even before the incident that happened at the hospital that didn't happen, right? Because we know at this point that it didn't happen. So they say, well, this is to pay respects to those killed. How about those killed? How about the people that were killed and maimed and beheaded and raped in Israel? That's who you should be paying respects for. So he basically says, look, um, <laughs> you know, he gets pissed off and he says Hamas are murderers. That's all they are. And you know what? He was right. And somehow, when you take a stand against a terrorist organization on American universities in 2023, you're ostracized. I, I don't get it anymore. But have a great Monday night. We'll talk tomorrow. Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 